And a good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. Joining me right now, Dr. James Keating. He's Associate Professor of Theology at Providence College. Uh, his areas of expertise include the papacy and the historical Jesus. Um, he has written an essay in First Things called Who Killed the Catholic University that I thought was definitely worth discussing. Uh, well, Jim, good to have you with me. Thanks. Glad to be here. Let's let's uh, take a look at the debate here. It, there are some key moments in the history of the Catholic University in America. The claim was, apparently in the 1950s, that Catholic colleges and universities weren't able to pass muster with the secular universities that it was thought they were competing with. And so there was apparently a lot of um, soul-searching about how to define what it means to be a Catholic university. Set that up for us before we get to the Land of Lakes conference. Yeah, it, 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 we really shouldn't think of Catholic uh, you know, colleges. There weren't no universities. And that came a little bit later, but maybe, maybe around this time. They're mostly colleges. They were primarily focused on helping um, young Catholic men and women uh, enter into the workforce. They were vocationally minded, yeah. interestingly enough. They also uh, they would require each student to take a semester of philosophy, uh, so eight, eight classes on philosophy. That probably was the most distinctive value of those mm. schools, okay. although they offered business degrees and stuff like that. They did theology, but they were not particularly they were not they couldn't compete with the better secular universities yeah. there were there any were any of them research universities no yeah okay so some people begin to feel that that means we're second class right uh, we, we can't stand up with these other schools whether we're supposed to stand up with them or not it's another story but so there's this sense of being what a second class citizen when it comes to the world of higher education yeah, the the interesting thing about it, if you go back far enough, we probably were. Yeah, There's a very right. famous yeah. moment, I don't quote this, but the president of University of Chicago comes to these, he's invited to discuss, you know, Catholic education, higher education in the United States, and he tells them, you know, you have this, he's a Protestant, you have all this incredible tradition and intellectual riches, but you never teach them. <laughs> and so around the 50s, it's kind of weird, he said, you, you, you focus on business and football. It's funny, but there you have it. And in the 50s, you get this revival of Catholic intellectual life, which we all, you know, people who know this stuff, Landry O'Connor, Jacques Maritain, all of those folks. And so the Catholic, univer the Catholic intellectual life is moving pretty nicely in the 50s, but the universities had not quite caught up to them. Okay, okay. So <clears throat> what is the Land of Lakes uh, conference supposed to address? The Land of Lakes, it was primarily the, the big schools, the ones that are going to become the research universities, the Notre Dame and University of uh, 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 St. Louis and things like that. Their question is, how do we move forward? And they basically decide not to stop being Catholic, but that autonomy from the Catholic Church is going to be their ticket to intellectual respectability. I mean, that's 
you know, on the face of it, that's kind of weird. Um, why would independence from the Catholic Church, or even worse, the Catholic tradition, why would that seem to be a point in favor of their growth and development? What what was? How were they being hampered by their Catholic identity? Well, uh, there were controversies. Uh, remember, this is the 50s, and so occasionally you would have, uh, you know, a research, prof- you know, a professor, a theologian or something, uh, or even a philosopher say something that would be a little out of keeping with the, the, the church's position at those that time, and they would be silenced or mm. there'd be a gotcha. controversy, you know, to invite someone to campus. There were, I mean, we have to be honest about this. There, there, there was some things to talk about of how to get the role, the role of the bishops, uh, and the, and the role of a, a real academy um, together. There yeah. were there were questions. Now they went the idea of autonomy instead of instead of some other understanding, uh, and that that really in lies the problem. The the universities in in college college and university are institutions that do have uh, their own reasons for existence. Um, They're not an institution in the same way that the church is an institution. The church has its own reason for existence, and so in the best my best thinking on that my best most generous thinking on this would be that. Presidents of those uh, colleges uh, in the emerging universities were actually recognizing that colleges and universities needed to have uh, a little more uh, liberty. They couldn't be held to the same um, doctrinal standards that we expect churches to be held. In other words, uh, am I going to have my chemistry teachers... Uh, be able to do a catechesis? I mean, what? Who, who's now? I mean, whether that was a real threat or not, I mean, we could debate that. Sure, I mean, there were moments, but on, on the whole, you're right. I mean, there is, there. You know, Catholics believe in the integrity of the natural order, right? Right, and therefore, universities have an end, uh, which you know they they pursue in their own way, and it's different from the end of a church, right? Right, uh, they're not they're not uh, seminaries; That's they're right. colleges and universities. And again, the Land O'Lakes uh, uh, statement in the end, you know, thought that they could achieve what they wanted to achieve by severing the any official connection to the church, and that turned out in hindsight to be a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We don't want to go back and and you know, like there was some golden age. And these guys all screwed it up. That's just not. That's not the right. That's not the history. Yeah. It's more complex than that. So, the the solution that they thought uh, to bring these Catholic colleges into their proper growth and development, they thought what had to be done was sever institutional connection with the mm-hmm. diocese or with the yep. church. Okay. So what did that mean for the local bishop? Uh, That he had no obvious role. Yeah. Okay. In in the university or college, you know, per se. 
they might invite him for this or that reason. But um, they were autonomous. That was the idea. It didn't always happen. Remember, these, these things were religious orders. And, it, and so it, it, the, the, the word autonomy um, really meant what they were most concerned about is they didn't want a non-academic bishop sort of getting in their business. Uh, which, again, there's a legitimacy to that. Sure. And most bishops, as it turned out, and I talked about this in my ass, they had no intention of doing that anyway. Um, <laughs> they didn't want to do that. No, I was going to say, those are headaches they don't want to have to take on. Exactly. <laughs> well, so the, from there, from those days following Land O'Lakes, then, you have institutions like Georgetown and Notre Dame coming into their own and being talked about in the same breath as uh, University of Michigan, uh, Yale. Uh, so wouldn't the administrators or the presidents of these institutions argue that uh, they got exactly what they were looking for, uh, that kind of cultural respectability and, um, you know, bona fide, serious universities? Right. I mean, you know, I'm sure you're you are aware of this, and so are your listeners, or they're not. I, I, you know, I'm going to ask them to think about this. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. The, the the Second Vatican Council did not, although it was a response to the rise of secularization in Europe, it didn't count on how far and quickly secularization would go after it closed. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So after 19. 19- 65, and Land O'Lake is a little bit after that, right? And so they really thought, and they also overestimated the strength of the Catholic subculture that had been built up in the United States. Uh, they also didn't count on the fact that all these, uh, you know, after the Second Vatican Council, all these religious would leave. Yeah, yeah. So there's a way in which um, they were caught unawares. And no one really expected things to fall so quickly and so fast and so hard. The question is, again, I really tell my story primarily after John Paul seeks to call, you know, the leaders of Catholic higher education in the United States back to being concerned about this loss of Catholic identity. When we think about the the loss in the seventies and the eight in the well in the seventies and the eight, late sixties, seventies, and eighties, again the Catholic Church was not prepared for what happened after the close of the Second Vatican Council. Uh, the question is, what happens when you look around and you see, oh my gosh, we're losing uh, something very precious? Yeah, yeah. and uh, and 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 how how one responds. Accordingly, so John Paul II issued uh, an apostolic constitution, ex corde right. ecclesiae, uh, just on Catholic universities. Uh, what was the problem that he saw himself addressing? How would he define that? Well, he refers to the loss of Catholic, you know, Catholic identity at the institution. So you, you know, you're thinking of the work that, to, for John Paul. Part of the work of the of the Catholic University is to unite faith and reason in the different academic disciplines, right. and in that way, not only help the Church 
think about its response to these, you know, the ch- a changing world, but also equip uh, equip a generation of of, of of new Catholics how to think deeply uh, about what is true, you know, true, you know, as we pursue reason, but also is true in light of what we believe as Catholics. Yeah. Jim, hold it there. We've got to take a break. We'll come back and pick it up again from the work of John Paul II in his uh, Apostolic Constitution, Ex Gordia Ecclesiae, by which he was trying to solve particular problems that he saw in Catholic higher education. We'll also, of course, look at uh, the response of Catholic colleges and universities to the document. Hey, good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. With me, Dr. James Keating, Associate Professor of Theology at Providence College. We're taking a look at uh, an essay that he wrote for First Things Magazine called Who Killed the Catholic University? And we're up to the place where John Paul II has decided to address the problem of the Catholic uh, Catholic higher education in an apostolic constitution, uh, ex corde ecclesiae. And uh, he saw so John Paul II saw that there were problems with Catholic higher education that he wanted to address. Tell me a little bit about what did he see as principally the problem. The problem primarily is was about hiring the, the makeup of the faculty. Um, for John Paul, Catholic education is a passing on of an intellectual spiritual, artistic tradition. Mm-hmm. And you can't pass on what you don't have. Right. right. And so what he wanted Catholic universities to do is to become places in which that tradition is passed on. And one of the things he focuses on is the fact that the, uh, the faculty are not being hired uh, that have the competency or the desire to do that. And it's, on the face of it, it would seem that this is an important observation. I mean, was was one of the purposes of Catholic colleges and universities the integration of faith and learning? Or was that not even considered important? No, I mean, what what, what is the Catholic intellectual tradition? It's the integration of faith and yeah, learning that's what I mean. in, right. in, in all these different in, in all these different aspects. Um, yeah, so, that's that's what you should offer your students. You should invite your students into that, but you can't do it if you you yourself you know are not you do not participate in this yeah. tradition. Yeah. Uh, in in America, I remember when this this happened. I remember the debate in America, and this was first of all application of ex corde ecclesia was slow in coming. Um, yes. And 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 there was so much fear. There was a, an attitude that somehow uh, this was going to be a threat to academic freedom, that uh, the universities were somehow going to come under the thumb of local bishops. Uh, the U.S. bishops, how did they regard this? Uh, is this that, I don't suspect this was a task they wanted. <laughs> they did not want it. Right. I mean, what the, the, you know, this is the 90s, right? And so, although it's, you know, worse now than it was then, the problems of, you know, sort of the dissolution of cultural Catholicism was already upon us. Mm-hmm. 
and the bishops were focusing focused on that. They what they most of them thought of their jobs as being as far as the, the, the colleges and their diocese was to promote them, was to say good things about them. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of was the American style of being a bishop, to uh, you know to show up at graduation and say how happy they were, yeah, uh, that kind of thing. Most bishops did not want, I mean, the vast majority of them did not want to get involved. They didn't want it to be a problem. And one of the things I wanted to to say in my, my essay was there was a lot of effort by a lot of people to get the attention of different aspects of the Catholic leadership in our country. And a lot of people wasted a good portion of their careers trying to do just that. And when we look back on it, we can see at one level, I've, I've, there's a wrinkle in the story, but that that was, they were fighting a battle they could not win. Ex Corde simply came too late. Um, the, all, almost all Catholic colleges and universities had, really, they were taking their cues from what we call best practices or sort of the standards of secular universities. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I remember one area of controversy had to do with the idea that the theology departments, uh, and you point out that many of them weren't theology departments anymore, they were religion departments. Right. Um, that many of that, that it was expected that there was to be some sort of uh, mandatum or a relationship between the yes. bishop and the, the theologian was to request from the bishop this kind of good housekeeping seal of approval or something. Um, yeah, the original idea was obviously that the bishops would do what was necessary to ensure that those entrusted with teaching Catholic theology were competent to do it. Right. Meaning right. the word competence is not only training, but uh, they would teach what the Church teaches. Mm-hmm. That was the original idea. By the time it came to to be implemented, it was uh, you know something very very small. I can still remember mine. I got this letter from the diocese of Providence, and it said, "Send this back, and you'll have your mandatum." <laughs> there was it was it was silly, <laughs> wow. to be honest. Wow. And it wasn't that the bishops, you know, it wasn't the bishops didn't care about this stuff. They just had other things they cared they, that, that took their attention, and they and they were especially because of the controversies, you know, that that would be part of the land of lakes. They just didn't want to be accused of getting involved in academic matters, uh, and somehow being you know uh, uh, an op you know opposite of academic freedom. They just yeah. did not want to get involved. Yeah, yeah. So the, the colleges that you point out, the colleges here start using phrases rather than stress Catholic identity. They talk about being in the spirit of, uh, you know, yeah. uh, forming men and women for others or um, prioritizing academic insul- ac- academic excellence and uh, helping um, help students uh, achieve a sense of wonder uh, about life. Uh, mm-hmm. I, right. Th- these are these yeah. are really fuzzy concepts um, for yeah. a parent who wants to make sure that their child uh, 
the late teen is going to encounter the Catholic tradition. Yeah, I mean, what happens after Excordia, as I said in the piece, it's not like nothing happens. It's just nothing serious happens. Yeah. Uh, they, you know, almost every college writes a mission statement, which most didn't have before. Um, a number of them, you know, come up with promotional materials to emphasize their, because that's one of the things that Excordia asks to make it clear to people that this is a Catholic college. Okay. And so they come up with certain ways to market themselves. And some of it was sincere and some of it was cynical. But as as I say, in the end, that's not what the real work of universities is in the teaching, the research, and the curriculum, and the student life as well. Mm-hmm. That's the real, that's what makes a college a college. It's not the promotional materials. <laughs> uh, and right. And most of the reaction to ex corde was at the level of promotion and, you know, maybe maybe some changes. But on the whole, when we look back at 2023, there was no real change, of course. Yeah. Right. And most of those colleges now uh, have dropped the specifically whatever Catholic language they added. A lot of it has been modified and and weaken more now. As I said, mostly Catholic colleges emphasize their commitment to welcoming and sometimes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's... Uh, that. That really becomes the what they emphasize. So the the, the Catholic understanding of Christ's universal uh, offer of salvation and that it's to be presented universally to all people, every nation, kindred, and tongue. That gets secularized until we're now talking about uh, diversity, inclusion, and equity. Yeah. yeah. As I said, you know, I said that in the in the, the 90s and, and in the, the beginning of the 2000s, you have the focus on social justice, right? Which at least has something to do with Catholic sure. teaching, Catholic social yeah. teaching, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, that was fine. You know, I mean, not fine. It was inadequate, but at least something— uh, and now you find you find this new movement, which is probably a greater threat to the autonomy of the college and university than anything we've seen <laughs> in a long time. That's true. And yeah. that's this ideology, which is an alien ideology. It's not it's not the Catholics are against, you know, <laughs> the, the good things. And it's not they're not they're against racism and exclusion and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but the ideology of DEI is not does not come out of the church. It's not, right. it's not a it's it, it's a secular. And uh, as I said in the piece, it's it it doesn't seek to 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 attain justice through forgiveness and and love and restoration, but rather through conflict. Right. Um, and it's astounding to me, and really a sign of how badly things have gone off the rails that virtually every Catholic college, I, I look some exceptions, uh, has embraced DEI um, fully and completely. They, it, it is extraordinary. I agree. Uh, they seem, because they, I mean, there's an irony to this, because they didn't want to really implement uh, Christ's teaching uh, and the integration of faith and learning, they're going to end up having to submit to the state Submit to Caesar, and they're 
their whatever they end up implementing to achieve uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion. I don't know why they don't see that um, the, being free from the church ends up making them subordinate to the state. That seems it seems inevitable to me. Well, the key is that to to to, to fight to to stand up for certain Catholic values is countercultural, right? And to stand, you know, but there are cultural values, and social justice kind of was one amongst at least certain segments of society, and now DEI. And so, in the end, I conclude that uh, there was never really an attempt to be autonomous in a serious way, uh, but rather autonomous from the Catholic Church. That's how it ends up, regardless of the intentions of the signers of the Land of Lakes. Um, And as you said, it's not autonomy in the real sense, of like free inquiry, right? But rather uh, conformity to you know secular norms. Uh, I, you're more familiar with this from an institutional perspective than I certainly am. Don't those who are responsible for the maintaining of these institutions and their growth and development recognize that they're on a course that will eventually evacuate them of Catholic identity. Yeah, I mean, as I said, there are lots of schools that now are, you know, responding to to this concern by establishing little pockets of Catholic identity within them. Right. And that's probably as much as they, I mean, this doesn't exactly answer your question, but that's as probably much as they could accomplish, given the fact that the vast majority of the faculty they've hired, to say nothing of the administrators, uh, have no interest in in turning, you know, in, right. in, in in you know, in receiving ex corte or something like that. And so, a lot of them, some of these, are, a lot of these folks are very good-hearted. I, I mean, I'm not scat, you know, and they're they're doing in some ways what they can. No. You're ultimately correct that you lose a sense of well, why are we even existing any longer if we're not doing this. Yeah. Jim, thank you. Very helpful. And uh, thank I hope you. we can talk again in the future. Sure. Love right. Thanks a lot. Dr. James Keating, Providence College.